Welcome to Ed's Not Dead. I'm Robbie Dodd. I'm joined by my co-host, Mr. C.H. Siddons. Hey, Mr. Siddons. Hey, good to see you guys. <laughs> good to see you and Mr. Peter Crable. Hey, Mr. Crabes. Welcome hey. back. Hey, hey. How you doing? I'm doing well. We have a great show. This is the Holiday Ed's Not Dead special. I just named it such. Uh, and as always, Ed's Not Dead is brought to you by Pulp Education, a full-service educational media company specializing in leadership, instruction, and 21st century school reform. As always, you can find us on Twitter at Ed's Not Dead PC. And of course, check us out on the website, edsnotdead.com. Boys, we've got a great show. Uh, Mr. Siddons has outdone himself once again by booking Congressman Robert Bobby Scott, who's represented Virginia's third congr- congressional district in the U.S. House of Representatives and is the chairman of the Education and Labor Committee. Good job, Mr. Sids. Yeah, he's been on our list for quite a while and uh, finally got a chance to uh, do the due diligence necessary to get someone like him on the show. And very appropriate, one week after they pass a bill, a massive uh, spending bill with uh, education ramifications, and one day, oh, I guess today, when it was signed into law. Yeah, that was a happenstance, but it worked out perfect. Yeah. Uh, it did. We we thought it was it was a slam dunk, uh, uh, and then it took uh, President Trump a while to. <laughs> well, he had to make his way back from the golf course. I think he had to is read it, the whole thing first. Is actually why. Well, is it we is know it, he doesn't read. <laughs> is it weird that I'm nervous about interviewing uh, Bobby Scott? It's okay to be nervous to interview such a guy. He's got quite a history. He does. He he does. It's a big guest. All right, and then we are also. As promised over this uh, fall, we are going to do our final uh, Dear Betsy retrospective. A goodbye. A goodbye fitting only for our Dear Betsy. Yeah, but a dear goodbye to Dear Betsy. Um, We're going to look at her accomplishments or lack thereof in a piece uh, that was recently in NPR. Um, And then at the end, we have a quiz, right? Mr. That's right. That's right. Another great quiz lined up after taking a little hiatus from uh, taking a lot of uh, flack from certain people. And, uh, you know, we're back. We're back with another quiz. All right. Um, Before we jump into show feedback, and don't tell me you're not prepared because I know you are. Uh, How was was Christmas? How was the holiday? It was great for me. Uh, my, My little girl, Frida, she got to open up a couple of presents, but not really because she doesn't really know what a present is or how to open it. <laughs> so she really loved the wrapping paper and the bows. There you go. And the boxes. The boxes are a huge hit. Can she say Santa yet? She is she is she recognizing Santa? No, she's saying she's babbling. There's a lot of babbling, but she's babbling all night, all day, during nap times, during her sleep. <laughs> And you're and you're and you're cross country skiing during the day in West Virginia. Lucky you, Mr. Sitz. That's right. Uh, I got tested. My wife got tested. My in laws got tested, and we're just a small group here. And cross country skiing allows you to be pretty much isolated from everybody else. So I'm in the deep woods, and it's great. Nice, nice. Now you now you know why I love to fish by myself. Yeah, yeah, I get it. Yeah. And Mr. Craves, I know you're taking the kids out and doing all kinds of educational and interesting uh, <laughs> day, day trips. You're such an overachieving parent. That's right. Uh, yes. Also, uh, 
also a good Christmas with plenty of uh, useless material toys that serve no <laughs> value whatsoever. Actually, the big one uh, that they they really only asked for for one thing this year, and it was um, Nerf guns. Oh, yes, that's a winner. Yes, so uh, without my wife's permission, I went ahead and purchased a pair of Nerf Ultras. Uh, they're pretty sweet. I'm not gonna lie; they've come a long way since I've played with Nerf guns. Um, and they have these like little darts. And uh, any guess how many batteries these these little bad boys require? Whoa, sixteen. <laughs> little on the high side, six, which was ah. still more than the zero that I had prepared for them. <laughs> so nothing nothing quite like getting a present and not having the batteries to... Uh... <laughs> yeah. The, I thought the old Nerf guns were... The ones I remember, you pumped them, but these yeah, are battery-powered. These are... Um, they're almost like a pitching machine, you know, with like the okay. two wheels that spin really fast, and then you put the projectile in between them, and they fly forward. So that's what these are. On the, on the inside oh, are two God. wheels in... It sucks the little dart in, and yeah, they they come out real quick. Like, you're gonna find like, you're gonna find Nerf darts in everywhere. your everywhere, everywhere for everywhere. years. Well, I I was somewhat smart, and so they came with like six or however many are in there, and I was like, oh, those are gonna get lost in like a day. So I looked for replacement ones, and the only size they had was a pack of one hundred, <laughs> which the kids, unbeknownst to me, took a pair of scissors in the basement and opened them. So I had kind of been like, I was like, oh, I'll hold them on reserve and, you know, we'll find a place to like put them so they're not everywhere. And that didn't even last a day. Oh my God. Has, has youngest dear Pearl got shot in the head yet? She is I, not though. Okay. No, we, we were, so we were very adamant. I was like, all right, we're going to like have these rules and the, the rules, rules, well, the rules are don't shoot on the main floor. Okay. Like you can go in the basement, which is kind of like the playroom and shoot. And uh, like no shooting in the face, and <laughs> it was not even noon on Christmas morning, and the kids are downstairs, and Owen, the oldest, starts to cry, and I was like, "Hey, man, are you okay?" And he's like, "I'm fine, I'm fine." <laughs> and then you hear you hear them talking, and he totally got hit in the eye. <laughs> but he knew if he told us that they got hit in the eye, oh, that was it. That was it. yeah, that was gonna be it. So. So good, good thinking on his part, and we just acted like we didn't know. Uh, those are that. That is a fun Christmas present. Yeah, that, that's great. That, that'll create. Did you get any uh, new toys, Mister Craves? Like a new guitar or anything? No, no. Uh, didn't we? Me and the wife didn't get each other anything, and didn't get myself right. anything. So I don't know. Well, maybe I should. It was a, you should. Yeah. Don't be so austere. Get on yeah. get online at post Christmas. That's the best time. I know. Oh, RD, yeah. I got I got a tool belt. Oh, really? Oh yeah. <laughs> nice for the for the kitchen remod. Yes. All I'm right. Very excited. I, I'm very excited to I break got, it in. I, yeah, I gotta I gotta see that. You know, I've been uh I've been coveting Wolverine boots, Mr. Sims. Have you ever oh. seen Wolverine boots? Yes, they're amazing. They are, and they are very pricey. Yeah. Yeah. My All wife right. treated me to a nice uh, tool belt with, guess what? Suspenders oh, are optional. Oh, they're optional, but okay, you, you they're are being worn. You are officially Bob Vila. <laughs> you are. I'm so excited for it. <laughs> that, is, that is awesome. Uh, I got um, 
my one my one very nice gift was it's going to be completely boring to our listeners and to you all, but I liked it. Uh, I got a Filson waterproof bag, so when I kayak and fish, I can throw all my stuff in the bag and it won't Ooh, get that's yeah, water bags yeah. are great. Yeah. yeah, it's really 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 nice. You didn't get any new Orvis gear. I, <laughs> I did. <laughs> I did, and, and it's embarrassing. I got an Orvis cardigan sweater. I got. I, I officially got the old man sweater. Should I? Maybe I should don it before the show is. Uh, over. From the from the Rod and Gun magazine that you get every. Yeah, yeah every it's month. even got the leather uh, uh, elbow uh, patches. There you go. Yeah, yeah. I just I just need a brandy and a cigar and. Uh, <laughs> going on anyway well we hope our listeners had a wonderful christmas and hanukkah and um by the time this show comes out uh will this come out before yes we're gonna do it before new year's turnaround's gonna be fast we're still gonna be in 2020 it's the last show of 2020 yes it will be holy guacamole all right before we do our retrospective on dear betsy devos uh let's get into some show feedback mr siddons so I actually don't know where this feedback came from. Was it on Facebook? Uh, it was, it was, uh, I don't know what it should have been on iTunes. It has not come through on iTunes, but it should be at some point. Um, so I don't know if it's just like, okay, well proved yet or whatever. Well, the, the reviews from a former student that Mr. Crable and I, uh, had in our classrooms many moons ago from Andres, uh, he said, I have had two of the three hosts as a teacher in the past, Peter Crable and Casey Siddons, and I can attest to their dedication to their students. It's great to see them create a show to make education policy both informative and entertaining. The third host, Dr. Dodd, has grown on me with his colorful insights. (laughs) (laughs) He does that with everything. He grows on you. Overall, great show with tremendous hosts. My only recommendation is that Mr. Siddons is quizzed about the Civil War. <laughs> Great dig. It's an embarrassing uh, misstep that I made. And uh, thank you, Andres, for listening. And uh, you were a great student, and you're, uh, you're going to do great things in the world. So thanks for listening in and spread the word. Thanks, Andres. A uh, couple things about Andres' feedback, Mr. Siddons, since you brought it up. <laughs> I think in the last three months, You've been called out twice about your <laughs> social studies knowledge. I think your former colleague and social studies leader in MCPS called you out a little bit about some of the. Some I of, did. What, what did you, uh, Civil War. Yeah. It was the Civil War. Okay, so there are some issues with the Civil War. Clearly, wasn't <laughs> his area uh, my, of my, expertise. My, under, my memory of facts is not great. <laughs> All right, and then the other thing is, uh, so Andres had both of you as a, as as teachers. That is correct. Yes, so, I had him in sixth grade, and Crable had him in seventh grade. One of the lucky few to get the tandem. I would there's love probably quite, there's probably quite a few kids that. out there yeah, that had that combination. <laughs> uh, <laughs> two, two lost years. <laughs> 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 uh, well, neither of us taught the Civil it's War, so they, they probably great. did okay. <laughs> that's that's great. Uh, Great feedback, and that must make you guys feel uh, that's pretty cool that Andres reached oh, out. It's amazing. Pod. That's awesome. It's amazing. Yeah. Anytime you hear from a former yep. student, especially you know 10, 10 plus years or whatever it was, it's it's uh it's a it's a special feeling. Oh yeah. 
All right, and that about does it for show feedback. Um, all right, <laughs> fellas, you ready? Uh, I hope our listeners are ready. Dear Betsy has been, um, we think, we're not sure, but we think uh, one of our better segments over the last four years on Ed's Not Dead. NPR recently had a piece, How Education Secretary Betsy DeVos Will Be Remembered. Uh, this was about a month ago uh, from Morning Edition. And basically, the piece um, categorizes uh, her different efforts as the um, head of the federal government's uh, efforts on 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 Ed, um, Mr. S- Mr. Crable. I know you've been furiously taking notes. Um, I know also that recently, I don't know what show it was. I claimed that um, that her main contribution was neglect, uh, and and after I read this, I I I think I need to correct myself. When I saw some of the things that she had done with guidance and policy at the federal level, um, it, was, it was really not neglect. It was actual deleterious action that she took uh, on a number of fronts. She does get a few props in this. So, uh, Mr. Siddons has <laughs> disappeared temporarily from the show. So His you and I are, is unstable. <laughs> you and I are going to go it alone, Mr. Krabs. Uh, before we get started, do you have any uh, big takes on it or anything, a, a certain way you want to go about this? Uh, you know, I wrote down a couple of different um, issues uh, that it kind of, I think the, the, well, call them, I guess, highlights or the the practices that that she put into place that that actually had any effect whatsoever. Um, but first, there's there's uh, two two things uh, that I'd like to talk about that never went into action because her big thing was always school choice. I mean, she came in on the school choice platform um, and she went out on the school choice platform. So her big plan uh, was something called education freedom scholarships. So this was five. B- 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 billion dollars that she wanted to set aside um, to give to people to go to private school, basically, or a religious school, also private school. Never even got off the ground, never even was talked about seriously, uh, but that was certainly her, 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 a big goal of hers. Um, and then she also at one point had tried to put $400 million in for charters and vouchers, which also never took off. It's just interesting that um, we talked about this a bunch on the show, uh, but vouchers, it, it, for whatever reason, it has never taken off in America at all. And if it didn't take off under her, I don't think that it ever will. No, I agree. I mean, the large majority of Americans um, expect to pay taxes to fund their local school systems, and most Americans send their kids to their local school systems. Yeah, and I mean, I mean, you know, I, you and I, we, uh, the three of us, have talked a lot about innovation and how sometimes innovation just gets squashed in the face of of institutionalism. But um, I mean, this obviously is an idea that we don't support. Um, but, uh, I, I don't think this is the, I don't think it's the kind of idea that could ever compete with a system contrary to what she says is no system has, has worked in this country for, um, you know, over a century. And I think to your point, they vastly and she vastly, uh, overestimated 
dissatisfaction with public schools and with people's neighborhood public schools. And as yeah. you've talked about, there's research that shows everybody loves their neighborhood school, yeah. uh, but there is there is generally um, some distrust or dislike of public school in general. But yeah. it's it's it is it is not at all tied to how people actually feel about like the school that their kids go to. Yeah, um, so that's um, interesting. I, I thought before we. Um, the 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 you know carrying guns in school because of bears and those kinds of things those are all well documented i thought we'd skip through some of those and i just wanted to hit you with a few and just get your gut level reaction looking back um so let's 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 delve into the article um in 2018 devos dropped guidance that was meant to protect students of color i think this is interesting especially based on the current climate that we're on with anti-racism and anti-bias um, that was from the Obama administration that, uh, that was focused on discriminatory discipline. The 2014 guidance from the Obama administration encouraged schools to use alternatives to suspension and expulsion and came with a threat of a school's district discipline patterns revealed significant racial disparities. It could face a federal civil rights investigation uh, this was largely just set aside by Betsy DeVos's um, and during her her leadership of the Ed Department. What's your take on that? Yeah, I mean, I think the only positive. Um, so, I mean, you know, even when it was under Obama, it, there were guidelines. It was not a law. It was not anything more permanent. So, even her rescinding that um, is something that they can just put back in place once Biden. Um, and Cardona come in. So I think that's kind of like the positive of it. She also argued that um, those guidelines made school campuses less safe. And so I just think that's um, some pretty stereotypically coded racial and racist language. Um, that the only way to, to discipline those black kids is to suspend them, basically. Yeah. Um, yeah. And none of the other evidence be damned or any other... Uh, approaches be damned as well that if any kid of color does anything you better suspend them no matter what yeah and at the same time um her supporters have have demonized practices like restorative justice um and uh any, any kind of teaching of restorative practices in school is leftist ideas yep um and so, yeah, so that's, that's well, and it kind of falls under the, the like law and order, you know, how, yeah. how they like to see themselves as the law and order people. Oh, you broke the law. You got to pay the consequences. And it's, you know, that really the height of hypocrisy where it's law and order for everybody else, but fast and loose when it comes to, to you. Um, so, you know, it's just another one of those things, but it'll be nice when it comes back. And I, I think one of the first things that, um, you know, the Biden administration can do is to, to put new guidelines in place, rescind the old guidelines and, you know, hopefully put something in a little bit more permanent that, that if, and when um, a new administration comes in, they can't just with a click of a finger um, roll those back. Yeah. I think uh, I would like to add that. I think it's, you're there. I'm there. I think it shows, it justifies the, you know, it shows how important these kind of positions are because um, they, they provide this guidance to provide, you know, for a reason but at the end of the day, a lot of schools are going to be going along with uh, providing transgender bathrooms and more open spaces for students like that uh, across the country, regardless of guidance, now that it has been set by the Department of Education. 
But I think it, it, if you have someone at the top who's supported of it, uh, of, of certain guidelines like that, or um, just providing more open space for students um, to operate in a school, I think it, it's really important. And, it, and, and if anything comes out of Betsy DeVos's tenure, it's that the power that, that is wielded by a secretary is, is incredibly important. But her model is that, well, we could just do less and it's still just as damaging to, to kids across the nation. All right. So um, in an era of, of um, close examination of police brutality across the country, um, they did away with um, heightened awareness or even uh, federal action about discriminatory discipline processes that disproportionately impacted students of color. So moving on to the next, uh, <laughs> the, the next, the next piece of um, discriminatory guidance. And this is one, fellas, that I've never been able to figure out the why behind this. Um, she made a lasting impact on how schools must respond to incidents of sexual assault and harassment by writing new, and, and I'll underscore new and painstakingly written regulations around Title IX. For example, the new regs um, limited the definition of sexual harassment to behavior that is severe, pervasive, and objectively offensive. Um, the regs went to the extent of allowing um, students, uh, students who are accused of sexual harassment to cross-examine victims. Isn't that correct? That is correct, which is, when you say that again... It's bonkers. Um, the accused okay. to, in real time, cross-examine the accuser. So the, uh, the, the article goes on to say, DeVos went through a full rulemaking process. They spent a couple of years. They dotted all the I's, crossed the T's. Um, so bureaucratically, apparently, they, they d- defined this guidance um, and went through the process they had to do to, to, to write this in stone. Um, get, explain the why to me as, um, a woman, um, someone who is, who has to be concerned about the health and safety of girls and women in institutions across the country. Why? Because they want to stick it to the libs because in her, (laughs) because in her mind, there's all these women out there who are just making spurious claims of sexual assault and sexual harassment because they hate men, because they're feminists, because they're libs, because they're fill in the blank label that that she thinks that they're out there to do that. I would also gather um, that in the this is a total assumption, but um, something I've noticed for people like her that if it has not happened to them, it's basically like it doesn't happen or it's not a real thing. So racial discrimination is not a real thing because she's never experienced it. Sexual harassment or, and or belittlement and or assault is not a real thing because it's never happened to her. Again, a lot of assumptions there, but I think it's all part of the general thought process is that there's people out here to get men just to get them in trouble just because they don't like them you know and i think when you look back on um something like the kavanaugh hearings 
Um, and I, you know, I apologize. I can't remember um, the the lady who accused uh, Kavanaugh. Um, but w- when you saw the reaction to her, and to think that people would say that she was just doing it for pu- publicity or for any other reason, it's like no. I mean, she literally blew up her life for what? I mean, he still got confirmed, and she still has to live her life. And you better believe there's people out there still sending her hateful vitriolic type messages. So I think yeah. it's just all part of a, a broader attitude um, that kind of, you know, f- plays out in various ways. I think, I think it's also like a, a further politicization of anything that can be politicized. So the, it, we, after Trump became elected, you know, the me too era began and, or at least in, in full, in a full throated process. And they just want to be on the other side of it. So they want to say that they're on, you know, they don't, they don't want to support uh, ridiculous claims or, or spurious claims against men. And, and, and oftentimes it is people that are most in, in these powerful positions that are being accused of sexual assault. And I think they just want to be on the opposite side. And, and although I was being flippant when I said to, to own the libs, I think it's, I think it's uh, a way to stick it to, liberals and left people on the left even though it affects everybody no matter if you're no matter what political party you're a part of or political persuasion and when you look at campus assault allegations and you you can make you can connect the dots to someone who is thinking that well uh campuses are safe spaces for liberal ideology and and liberal guidance and liberal thought and this is just another way to to shut them down or to to hold them accountable for something that is just ridiculous all right. Um, thank you, Mr. Sids. Uh, let's move on to the big one, school choice. Uh, Mr. Graves, you already talked a little bit about the education freedom scholarships, um, but let's dig a little deeper, <clears throat> excuse me, into um, charters and vouchers and her impact, if any, on the expansion of charters and vouchers across the country. Uh, DeVos's press secretary in November claimed Angela Morabito quote, school choices on the march across the country. And Secretary, Secretary DeVos will be remembered for leading the charge for every student's right to seek out their best educational fit. In, eight, in 2018, um, she tried to set aside $400 million to expand charter schools and private school vouchers, uh, but both parties in Congress nixed that idea, and it never materialized. Um, and then in the first COVID relief, $13 billion uh, was set aside to cover costs related to the pandemic. Um, she made both Republicans and Democrats mad, uh, appalled, that she wanted um, to use more of that money to pay for services, such as tutoring and transportation for private schools. Congress had agreed that services should be based on private school share of low-income students, <laughs> Of course, Secretary DeVos argued that uh, the percentage of money should be based on the number of students, their overall share of students. Um, so to me, it, it really appears that, um, oh, and I'll also add that Michael Petrilli of the Fordham Institute, a conservative-leaning leading think tank. I love this quote. Yeah, had said, you want to read it? Read it. <laughs> DeVos has been something of a drag on the school choice movement. They used to have strong bipartisan support. Uh, This is the actual quote from Petrilli. Charter schools used to have strong bipartisan support. 
but they have been such polarizing figure that many Democrats have abandoned the cause. I, and I, you know what? I think he's right. I, I don't know. I agree. A hundred percent. Right. Yeah. yeah. Which is why I always find charter schools so fascinating because they, they used to be a Democrat idea. And union, got, union created. Yeah. yeah. And, and then got co-opted really. This is the last administration is really, I mean, they, and then Democrats across the board. And I mean, Biden amongst all of the, like the primary candidates, you know, is, is pretty, um, moderate when it comes to reigning in charter schools, you know, somebody like Elizabeth Warren Warren or Bernie Sanders. I mean, they were like abolish charter schools, strip funding, this and that. I mean, you know, much, much more, um, I'll say radical ideas, but only in the sense that they're new. Um, (laughs) so I think Biden, as far as it goes, is pretty, pretty middle of the road, um, charter wise, Mm -hmm. but still is vastly different than, you know, 12 years ago when Obama was elected. Mm Mm-hmm. I'd I'd love to see if you could take four years of Obama's administration and compare it to the four of Trump. I'd love to see the the numbers on charter expansion between the two administrations. My yeah. guess, I could be wrong. My guess was charter expansion was greater in the Obama era than in the Trump era. What do you yeah, all think? That would that would be my guess too. Yeah, I agree. Um, and and I mean any halfwit would know. That's an Al Dodd word. Any halfwit. Would know, <laughs> That, I mean, her approach to um, gaining support for charters, bipartisan support for charters, public support for charters, the way to do that is not to demonize the current system, to not to demonize public ed. I mean, we've always said that there's enough food at the table for different models. Yeah. Um, and, and, and her way of doing it was a cause killer mm-hmm. because she completely, um, I mean, unabashedly, um, you know, openly despised public schools. Yeah. Well, and, and that ultimately the, the cause that she's, she's trying to push and the right is trying to push is not charter schools for the sake of uh, opening up schools that provide innovation or opening up schools that provide further opportunity for students. It, it's, we want to create charter schools really to, to kill public schools. And they might not say that necessarily, but the goal is to really uh, tamp down on the power and the pervasiveness of public education across the country. That is their goal. Um, and at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's unfortunate that that's their goal, but that's not really going to work because uh, the, the data doesn't really support their, their desire to say that charter and vouchers are effective in any case. All right. That's a good segue. So while she may not have done that much as far as policymaking that undermined public schools, um, Mr. Siddons, she became a rallying cry for unions uh, across the country, even though she wasn't, she wasn't really killing public schools. She became, um, she became the public face of, she became public enemy number one for public educators um, especially when uh, the Red for Ed movement really got going. Mm-hmm. What's your take on that? Well, I, th- I think, uh, you know, we hit a, a, a point in our history where we have this uh, kind of confluence of events. We have a, 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 an executive, a, a president who is, you know, has no desire to make any positive or progressive changes in, in public education or education in general, doesn't care about education. We have an education secretary that doesn't support public education, which is uh, bonkers. And we have 
a a kettle pot uh i don't even know what's the what's the old phrase uh there there's some phrase back there that i can't think of um where where uh, what's a kettle pot I, uh, I, a pot, pot that's ready to boil no a pot that's ready to boil a, a kettle that's ready to boil that's ready to boil over something anyway um we have a, a we have a, a group of people in the, in the nation, uh, teachers and their community members and their supporters, who are fed up with the demonizing of public educators across the country and the, the lack of respect and the low, the low pay across the nation for, for teachers. And you put all this together into any kind of uh, pot that you want to call, that you want to talk about. And we have strikes across the country in places that we would never expect the type of public education and union support like West Virginia and Arizona and, and places that we wouldn't expect uh, strikes to be so supportive, especially in these uh, right to work states. Well, she, she clearly to your, to your point, um, two things. She'll probably, as this story says, go down in history as the most well-known secretary of education in the history of the country. And B, B, I, I mean, she really is the first secretary of education to openly undermine public education yep. and and basically tell the public that she has no use for it and that it doesn't serve the nation's best interests. All right. Last but not least, COVID. Um, so let's talk about what she's done during the pandemic. Uh, she started out, I don't know if I'd say strong, but in the early days of the p- pandemic, she did waive federal testing requirements, um, which was um, allowed public educators to take a breath there back in the spring when things were really uncertain. Um, but she has, uh, the article goes on to say she has since sidestepped calls from states and school leaders to provide science driven guidance. Uh, like from the CDC, (laughs) to help determine safety thresholds for closing and reopening schools. Um, She also uh, supported President Trump back in uh, the late spring and summer that calling for schools to reopen, uh, regardless of what CDC safety recommendations said. Um, And uh, the article points out that for all her talk about governments and bureaucracies uh, not improving schools. Um, she, she took a very strong federal stance that uh, on a local issue that schools should reopen. Um, has she done anything worthwhile to support schools during the pandemic? I, I mean, I would argue that the schools that are open and the school districts that have opened, I mean, I think she's part of that political machinery that encouraged them to open. I mean, you have this stark contrast of, um, you know, her saying, ignore the science and ignore the CDC, but then saying, oh, well, we have it dictated not by the science, but by politicians who say don't open, you know? So she's just trying to have it every which way when really the message, because people were saying, to Casey's point, the contrarian point, because people and scientists and quote unquote, the elites, you know, like people that went to college and have an expertise after studying in a field for 50 years, um, when they said to close, that you know, obviously the knee-jerk reaction is, no, we have to open, we have to open everything, mm-hmm. you know, and I, so I do think, you know, her and Trump, that lays squarely at their feet, the push to reopen, 
um, and then any ensuing uh, outbreaks that happened, as well as the lack of data collection. It doesn't even talk about that, but the lack of data collection um, uh, from the Department of Ed to even track how much schools have acted acted as incubators because we don't even know we still don't know we rely on foreign data to tell us that i I was going to say do do you think that she consciously thought about the political calculus of um her locality versus fed argument with public education that she really couldn't roll out a federal plan for you know, health metrics or reopening plans or anything like that, because then it would have been her flying in the face of her own position on federal involvement in public schools. She, she, I think it would have put her job in peril. Exactly. She can't make a policy because her boss changes his mind every seven seconds. Mm -hmm. And a policy requires time and consistency of actually wanting something instead of just not wanting what you want. So, you know, I don't think there was any chance of her putting a policy together and given the circumstances of how erratic Trump is. I will say that uh, the waiving of federal testing requirements and suspending payments on student loans, I I was surprised to see that because she's been so uh, anti-student and anti-things that are good for public education. So when when I saw that the federal testing requirements was were waived. I I was pleasantly surprised because I think it shows us that, you know, we need to really, I think it allowed us to pause and say, "Hmm, do we really need uh, as uh, the the amount of onerous federal testing that is provided throughout every school year? And interestingly, Chairman Bobby Scott is going to have some, some commentary on that. I'm interested to see what he says about it. Yes. Yes. Yeah. We, we will, we will, we'll ask him about, um, we'll ask him about federal testing. All right. Well, I think, fellas, that that closes the book on Betsy DeVos. As I just, can, I, can I list two things? Just two, and we don't, this is yes. not require commentary, but two additional things just so we know. So she expanded um, 529 savings plans, which for those that don't know are college savings plans. Um, but she expanded them uh, so that they cover private school tuition. Oh, um, great. So, Yep. So not colleges. So again, funneling, you know, diverting tax breaks um, or using tax breaks to divert money into private schools. Um, And then as well as... Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I went to a private college. Again, how can we help... Private elementary school. Oh, oh, I... Oh, for... Because you can use 529s for for any level of education. For K-12. Correct. Yes. Yes. I got it. Got it. I thought you were bashing my... my No, 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 no. I went to a private school too. I'll do that. Um, and then the TEACH grant, um, which is, encourages uh, teachers with debts um, to go to high-need schools because of some, they get, uh, I don't know what the terminology is, but grants, basically. Um, so she, they denied case after case after case because of small paperwork errors. They really had no uh, bearing on the overall work that the people had done in terms of their commitment to high-need schools. But this does also say, um, but then she worked with teachers to, uh, to improve the program and ap- apologize for its failings. So there you go. Well, and at least we have up. someone in the administration who apologizes. Yeah, so it helped uh, more than 6,500 teachers shed their debts that they had erroneously acc- accrued. 
Well, think about yeah, yeah. how many more people could have been, uh, their debt could have been erased if we had some competent uh, pro-public education secretary. Mm -hmm. um, the small paperwork mistakes, did, did those, were those intentionally, that was an intentional process to catch people on small paperwork mistakes? Was that during her administration? During um, the administration? You know, it doesn't say. It says even when she apologized for its failings, it says even though they were not the fault of the Trump administration. So if <laughs> I had to guess, I think it would be more, less of a bureaucratic message, like find errors to not give them money, and more just uh, bureaucratic over overdue diligence, maybe. They're not going to go out of their way to forgive your debt. Yeah. All right. Um, when uh, we come back, we are going to uh, maybe maybe talk to Congressman Robert Bobby Scott a little bit about Betsy DeVos. But regardless, we are incredibly excited to have him on the show. Don't go anywhere. This is Ed's Not Dead. We will be right back. Fellas, we are incredibly excited to welcome Congressman Robert C. Bobby Scott to Ed's Not Dead. Congressman Scott has represented Virginia's third congressional district in the U.S. House of Representatives since 1993. Prior to his service in Congress, he served 15 years in the Virginia General Assembly. Congressman Scott currently serves as the chairman of the Committee on Education and Labor. In this position, he's advancing an agenda that improves equity in education, frees students from the burdens of crippling debt, protects and expands access to affordable health care, ensures workers have a safe workplace where they can earn a living wage free from discrimination, and guarantees seniors have a secure and dignified retirement. Welcome to Ed's Not Dead, Chairman Scott. Uh, we are indeed um, excited and honored to have you on the show. So let's jump right into our interview. Uh, I know that you've had a lot going on in the last 24 hours, and we're going to get to talk about that, but where are we um, as a public education system today nationally amidst the current public health emergency or crisis that we're in? Well, the problem we have now is that the, uh, we've heard a lot about how the pandemic has exacerbated pre-existing health conditions. Those with the pre-existing health conditions have been uh, more adversely affected by the pandemic than, than others. We're also finding out that those who have been uh, at the bottom of the achievement gap. the have been more adversely affected than others. Um, with distance learning, if you're at the bottom of the achievement gap, you're probably less likely to even have a computer, less likely to have connectivity or have poor connectivity at home. Uh, so all of the problems in education have been exacerbated by the, um, uh, by, by the pandemic and just made matters worse. And so we have a, a lot of catching up to do. Every, uh, this group would be uh, familiar with the summer slide where low-income students leave in June, come back two, two months worse in, by September, they're two months worse off than they left. <clears throat> well, we've been sliding for about eight, eight to 10 months. Yeah. Um, and uh, so the, we have a lot of catching up to do. And so the pandemic has just made those matters worse. The, um, other students, uh, some students have done okay with uh, distance learning. Uh, they've been able to, uh, uh, to keep up. <clears throat> but those at the bottom of the achievement gap have just, um, it's just been horrible. In special education, 
uh, students, it's just been a disaster. We have a lot of catching up to do there. So let me ask the question on everyone's mind is, you know, what, ha- what needs to happen in order for schools to open nationwide? What sort of steps would you like to see happen to ensure that we can guarantee um, the safety to get kids back in school, which is so important, as you mentioned? Well, first of all, I think everybody who's looked at it recognizes that students do much better when they're in school, in-person uh, uh, instruction. Sure. Um, much better than the distance learning. They, they do better academically. They, it's better for them from a nutrition point of view because they get the school meal. They learn the social skills by interacting with people that you can't learn sitting at home. Um, child abuse can be detected. Uh, the students are actually there in person. And let's get serious. You're not going to reopen the economy without reopening the schools. Yeah, right. so we have a compelling reason to reopen the schools if it can be done safely. And you cannot reopen the schools safely without spending some money. Now, first, you want to spread the students out a little bit. So you need a smaller class size. That costs money. Yep. Getting the students to school, you can't have as many students loaded up from the bus as, as, as you have. That means more trips, which means more money. <clears throat> you got disinfected and PPE you got to pay for. That costs more money. And ventilation, which is a huge problem with the uh, schools, with the ages of the schools, and uh, the fact that a lot of uh, schools have um, heating, ventilation, air conditioning problems pre-existing, Yep. Um, we need to make sure they have proper ventilation. If you're in a school most, you know, without proper ventilation, if one student is infected, by the end of the day, they've all got it. If you've got proper ventilation, you have a chance of, um, of surviving. And so proper ventilation and, and fixing the HVAC systems in all of these schools is expensive because a lot of them have problems. So we need the resources, and that's why it's so important that um, in the COVID relief bills, we have money for education. One of the disappointments in the last um, relief bill that, uh, that uh, we've just uh, completed work on is the fact that they don't have any money for state and local government. Right. With the reduction in revenue, the only way they can, uh, state and local government can um, balance their budgets, which they have to, is either <clears throat> fire people or cancel contracts and let the contractor fire people. I mean, and when you get when you get to education, which is a huge portion of local and state government, um, they have to lay off lay off um, uh, education officials. About seven hundred and some thousand education officials across the state, across the country, uh, have been laid off already. Yeah, th- those are people who will not be there for uh, for instructional purposes. So the fact that we didn't do uh, state and local is a real disappointment. It means that the money we have in there for education uh, will, instead of uh, helping the situation, will just go to uh, offset um, offset some of the some some of the cuts. And but so, and I'm sorry to interrupt, but the, in the that 82 billion dollars in funding for education that's about to go through, what what are you what are some more highlights of that money that that are, that will be used? Well, um, a substantial portion of that would be K through 12, about 58 billion. And it's um, distributed to a certain, to, to a large extent on, based on the um, um, Title I formula, so land okay. where it's actually needed. Sure. An incredibly uh, significant portion will go to private schools um, and not to uh, public schools where it's most needed. 
Right. Um, but, um, you know, if you want the bill passed, the, some things you just have to put up with. But um, it's, it's, it's there and the school systems will use the money um, to um, make up for the deficits. There's a lot of catching up that needs to be done. I'd like uh, for additional funding to take place uh, to make sure that uh, school systems can cancel summer, the summer vacation. Yeah. Right. We can't, I mean, we can't afford to take two more months off, inflict another uh, summer slide where, where the students uh, start regressing all over again. Uh, we need to use that time to catch up. And it's, uh, you can't cancel a summer vacation for free. Uh, that, that's going to cost money. And I'd like to see the federal government uh, step up and make sure that, that that's happening. There are a lot of, there's a lot of catching up to do uh, for um, those at the bottom of achievement gaps and for special education students. So there's a, there's a lot of work that has to be done and, and that's not free. Federal government has to step up because the um, uh, state and local governments across the country are very well, very much stressed already. Yeah. So let's switch gears a little bit, um, Chairman Scott. Uh, we have a segment that's immensely popular on Ed's Not Dead. It's called Dear Betsy. Um, we're incredibly <laughs> excited that we're no longer doing that episode and for obvious reasons, that, yeah. that segment of our show. So we want to look beyond the, the pandemic for a minute. Well, um, let, me, let, me just, let, me say, let me say one thing. You always like to say something nice. And, and with this secretary, <laughs> okay, say something nice. That's good. With this secretary, this has been, been, been difficult. <laughs> she, the department was asked to get waivers on assessments. Right. You know, under, under every Student Succeeds Act, you have to, uh, we gave a lot of flexibility on how you do it, but you got to assess to ascertain whether or not there are achievement gaps, and then you have to have a credible plan to do something about it. Because of the pandemic, there are a lot of requests to get waivers on the assessment. Sure. She denied those waivers. <laughs> now, uh, if you did not deny the waiver, if you, if you allowed those waivers, and let people go without the assessments, then we would not know what the problem is. And so that, um, uh, you know, it's gonna be hard. You see, it's, it's a lot easier to assess when the students are right there. I don't know how you're gonna do it, but you gotta do the best you can. Sure. Without that information of where we are, how far behind we are, we wouldn't know how to begin to start. Yeah. So let me just start off by saying something nice <laughs> about uh, Betsy DeVos, that was the right decision. Yeah. All right. And in fact, and in fact the, um, the, the NAEP test was canceled for this year because they couldn't figure out how to do it. I saw that, yeah. Yeah, and so, yeah. And so we wouldn't have that information. All we have are the assessments that are going to be done, and so we'll at least have some information to how to deal with the achievement gaps, and that was the right decision. All right. Well, um, one thing's for sure you're probably the first person on our show, uh, including us, that's, that's ever, ever had a compliment. So we'll, we'll take it. Um, but, but looking ahead, uh, entering a new Democratic administration with President-elect Biden, what are your priorities for legislation for our K-12 public school systems across the country once we move beyond, obviously, this period of crisis that we're in? Well, well first of all, we have to refocus on the achievement gap. That's, that's the number one uh, uh, priority. Uh, another thing is we have to deal with the uh, segregation of schools across the country. Uh, GAO report a couple of years ago found that the schools today are as segregated 
today as they were yeah. in the 1960s. Yeah. I mean, what's that? And getting worse. I mean, how is that possible? Yeah. And we found that integrated schools, integrated schools do much better for, 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 for all of the students. The achievement gaps are much less. Uh, the the uh, academic achievement is, is much better. And, and so there is a compelling reason to try to integrate the schools. Uh, before you get to the social reasons um, and, and just basic civil rights, it's a better way to ed educate the students. And there are a lot of things that we can do. Uh, two things the House uh, passed that um, the, the Senate hasn't taken up. One is to, to codify a program that uh, Obama uh, started right at the end of his uh, term, a little grant program to help um, uh, localities who want to voluntarily integrate their schools come up with a plan uh, that's, a, that's effective. Uh, we, we've, we, the, there's a little challenge there because in Seattle and uh, in Louisville, Kentucky, they had voluntary plans and the Supreme Court found they were unconstitutional. Wow. Uh, now you can do it, but you got to do it right. And so you need a little technical assistance and that costs a little money. So you could apply for this little uh, 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 grant program to get some technical assistance so you can fashion an effective uh, plan that can withstand a constitutional challenge. Uh, I said it was at the end of his um, uh, administration, um, several, um, uh, several localities applied for the money, but before, it came, before any money went out, the new administration came in and canceled the program. Jeez. Well, we want to codify that program and we passed legislation to do it, but the Senate hadn't taken it up. The other is the um, Equity Inclusion Enforcement Act, which would give essentially a, a, what's called a private right of action under Title VI. Right now, uh, because of Supreme Court decisions, if you're gonna complain about discrimination based on patterns and practices or disparate impact uh, in education, the Department of Education has to come forward and make the complaint. If they don't do anything, nothing gets done. Well, what's wrong with if you feel you've been discriminated against, what's wrong with you being able to uh, bring the case yourself? Um, the Equity and Inclusion Enforcement Act would allow the local civil rights groups, the local parent groups to come forward and challenge practices that have a discriminatory impact. Um, uh, it also sets up an assistant secretary uh, within the Department of Education and monitors like we have under Title IX uh, so that they, there'll be somebody in the local education, uh, uh, in, in the local education, uh, it's local school system, whose job it is to make sure that nobody's discriminating. Yeah. Uh, that bill has, has passed the House and had been taken up by the Senate. We need to, uh, we need, we need to pass that. But there is one thing that we have been successful in doing, and that is to remove um, about a 40-year-old vestige of the pre-1954 days, and that is a provision in law that prevents the use of federal funds and transportation for the purpose of inter school integration. Wow. That has been the law. You cannot use federal funds in transportation for the purpose of integrating your schools. Wow. That's been the law, and finally, uh, by virtue of the COVID relief bill, uh, we're able to get rid of that, um, uh, of that provision. And so you can use federal funds if you need to um, get, if you need 
to uh, spend a little money on transportation to integrate the schools, and some of it is federal money, you can do it. <laughs> Con- congratulations, Chairman Scott. That is that is a big deal. Yeah, that is a big awesome. deal. We have one more question here for you. Um, so, on the most our most recent episode, we were talking about some some potential replacements for Secretary DeVos and some names that we had been hearing uh, bandied about. Uh, and one of the names uh, that came up was uh, Dr. Leslie Fenwick of Howard University. Um, so I did want to ask uh, about HBCUs and specifically how they've been impacted during this pandemic. And then the second part is what kind of support do you plan on advocating for your, com- your committee with the Biden-Harris administration? Well, they have a list of very highly qualified individuals. Uh, Dr. Pendrick is obviously one, and she's a very exciting possibility. Yes. We're looking forward to um, to hopefully. Uh, but she's just wondering. I'm not going to get into name naming. Uh, I, hey, listen, she, I, you can I, let I, one slip. Yeah, but she, she, but she is highly, highly qualified. I emailed her, but she hasn't gotten back to me. I don't oh, know why. Uh, well, she's, she's very highly qualified, but it's important of. HBC is very important, and she's um, um, at Howard, and as an added um, uh, issue, she's married to the former president of Howard, which makes her part of the HBCU uh, community, uh, Mm -hmm. which is, I think, a a big plus. Um, HBCUs have done a phenomenal job. If you look at where African-American teachers come from, a disproportionate number come from HBCUs, as well as scientists and other professionals, uh, a disproportionate number come from HBCUs. Uh, and and there's, there's um, uh, and so support of HBCUs has been extremely important. Mm-hmm. Uh, the COVID relief bill has a provision of uh, debt relief. The pandemic has put a financial strain on, um, uh, on historically black colleges and universities. And one of the provisions in there is a uh, relief from uh, repayment of some of the uh, loans that have been uh, made uh, that it, that will relieve them of significant pressure. Um, and, and we're very uh, delighted to see that provision as part of the package. Yeah, that's awesome. That's really great. All right. At this, at this point, uh, Chairman Scott, if you have a minute, um, we always end our interviews with uh, a quiz that Mr. Siddons, he oh, is the God. quiz show, my ace pro. <laughs> we need to know. Um, and since you have shown your support of standardized assessments uh, on the show today, uh, we're, we got it. We ha- you have to endure, endure one. So, uh, Mr. Siddons, I'll turn it over to you. Uh, Congressman Scott, it's been a pleasure having you with us on the pod and joining us as busy as you are. Uh, so I heard through the grapevine that your, your mother was a teacher, so I'm sure you're well-versed in quizzes. Uh, we know you're an expert on public education policy and, and Congress, and we know you're from Newport News, Virginia, but we would like to know. Uh, my, my mother was a teacher. Uh, my sister is, uh, is a retired teacher. So I there we go. A teachers, a lot of teachers in the family. Well, we want to quiz you on about what you know about another famous Newport, which is Newport, Rhode Island which is neither a road nor an island. So if you answer three of these quirky questions about this seaside colonial New England city, you win. You ready? No. no. (laughs) That doesn't matter. You can do it. Number one, the first traffic law was created in 1678 in Newport when authorities banned what? Is it A, galloping horses on local streets, B, not curbing your horse, 
or C, not replacing your horse reflectors? Reflectors. It's actually A, the galloping horses on local streets. Apparently yeah. people were speeding through. Yeah. <laughs> it was crazy. You're, a good, you're a great Scott. Uh, great, great sport, Chairman Scott. <laughs> Number two, many passengers of this iconic ship were Newport residents and frequent visitors. A, from the USS Maine, B, the Titanic, or C, the Lusitania? Lusitania. Ah, it's actually B, the Titanic. There's actually four people from Newport who survived and six who perished, all from Newport, Rhode Island. You have one more chance. Number three, how many U.S. presidents have publicly visited Newport, Rhode Island? Is it A, four, B, 10, or C, 28? Newport, Rhode Island, publicly? Uh-huh. 10. It's actually 28, including 28. Thomas Jefferson, Grant, Teddy Roosevelt, and John F. Kennedy, among others, who have well, publicly I, I visited. Knew, I, knew, I knew I was in bad shape. If, 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 it didn't, if the answer wasn't jazz festival, I didn't know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You, you do about like I do on the quizzes. That's the only answer I had. <laughs> well, thank you for Scott. indulging me. I appreciate it. It was a lot of fun. The answer was jazz fest. <laughs> We've had some illustrious uh, educational thinkers on the show, and your your score was about in, on, online with how most folks do. So um, thank, <laughs> thank you for doing it. Uh, on behalf of Ed's Not Dead and our listeners, first and foremost, thank you for all that you do for our students and our educators across the country. Uh, if you'd like to follow uh, Congressman Scott on Twitter, his personal Twitter is at Bobby Scott. And if you want to find out about the goings-ons of the Ed Labor Committee, uh, you can find the Ed Labor Committee at Ed Labor CMTE, at Ed Labor CMTE. Welcome back to Ed's Not Dead. I'm Robbie Dodd. I'm still joined by my co-hosts, Casey Siddons and Peter Crable. Hey. 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 Ed's Not Dead is brought to you by Pulp Education, a full-service educational media company specializing in leadership, instruction, and 21st century school reform. And you can follow us on Twitter at Ed's Not Dead PC. Uh, Boys, that was an incredible interview. Good job, Mr. Siddons. Yes. Um, I was uh, I had a little bit of shaky legs when we were interviewing uh, Congressman Scott, but a little starstruck. It was it was pretty awesome to interview someone with such a breadth and depth of knowledge of um, you know federal education policy and 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 what goes into a bill. I mean that was yeah. just that was pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah. I mean the the work that he's done on that committee. And the work that he's done really as a congressperson over the years really speaks to the power of that position and, and uh, how important his voice is in, in uh, shaping education policy. Raise your hand if you knew that there were any vestiges of um, prohibitive busing legislation left um, as law. I had no I, idea. I was, I, was, I was just blown away by that. Yeah, shouldn't shouldn't be surprised. I feel like I shouldn't, no, be, shouldn't surprised, be surprised, but yeah. still still am. Yeah. All right. Well, once again, thank you to Congressman Scott for coming on. Ed's not dead. Um, love to get him back. Uh, I I also like how he waffled on the um, education secretary. 
He played well, that. He played that we well. Poke and, him a little bit. Yes. And, yeah. and he threw Betsy DeVos a bone. Uh, we had just been talking about <laughs> uh, federal testing requirements, and um, he he touched on that. Man, he knew a lot. All right. Uh, it is that time of the show where we take a quiz, and I continue my Patriots-like domination <laughs> of the show <laughs> over the last four years. So uh, after one, after one episode, oh. I, I'm back with a quiz. Oh, you're speaking Klingon. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I apologize. How about now? You're you're great. Now. Sounds great. I apologize. I'm in the woods of West Virginia, so the service isn't great. But uh, it's no excuse. I apologize. Anyway, so I'm back with the quiz. And uh, do you want me to? Do you, so I have five questions, and you could either call in and if you know it, or you can raise your hand. What would you prefer? Um, well, I think we should do hand raising. Okay, Craig. What do you? What would you like to do? For what? Just how we want to? For who answers the question? Yeah. Sure. Hand raising. Great. All right. All right, so I have a quiz about the new COVID relief packages I, I read over the weekend. It was uh, 5,300 pages. Uh, just signed by Trump the other day. We all know the big facts, which include $600 direct payment checks for every adult and child earning up to $75,000 and extended support for an unemployment benefits. It also contains $7 billion to increase access to broadband internet, which is interesting. Mm. But there's a, a five different things that I wanted to share with you all to see if you did your homework and see if you know these little quirky in, uh, inclusions in the bill. You guys ready? For sure. I read All the whole right. thing. <laughs> I know you did. All right. Number one, it includes tax deductions for what type of corporate lunch? Um, you ready? No, you raise your hand. Crable. Like a business development lunch. That's not the that's not the answer I was looking for. Um, How about this? <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Read, read the question again, Mr. Sid. Tax deduction. It includes tax deductions for what type of corporate lunch? Um, a charitable lunch. Nah, in, incorrect. It's actually the three martini lunch. I'm glad <laughs> that you both don't know what that is. Until now, businesses have only been able to deduct 50% of meal expenses on their federal tax returns. Now I guess you can deduct 100% or a lot more. As you well should. As you well should. Number two, funding for three new museums celebrating which groups of people? Give me one. Indigenous. Uh, incorrect, but you didn't raise your hand. Crable? Oh, sorry. Um, what what African-Americans. Uh, they just built that one two years ago, Crable. Uh, yeah, uh, the Irish. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Jeez, you guys are striking out. Uh, well, I mean, give you one more chance, Grable. Uh, is it a racial group or a religious group? No, hey, come uh, on, Mr. Crable. I'm not giving you hints. No help. No help. Um, I will say Asian Americans. Nope. Actually, uh, it, so it's, oh, it provides funding for th the, the beginning of three new museums, the Smithsonian American Women's History Museum, Ooh. the National Museum of the American Latino, and the Coast Guard Museum. Okay. There we go. That's, 
That's a little embarrassing that we didn't Latino or women, Mr. Crable. Yeah, that, that was. Uh, we'll just we'll just delete that part. We'll, I'll edit that out. Don't worry. Edit <laughs> <laughs> that out. Okay, these it's questions a, are hard. Uh, well, listen, it's it's hard to create multiple choices for you, dopes. All right. So, <laughs> so talking about dopes, number three prohibits doping in what sport? Cycling. Incorrect. Okay. Uh, read it again. It prohibits doping in what? Sport. Gymnastics. Incorrect. It's horse racing in a subsection labeled the Horse Racing Integrity and Safety Act of 2020. The bill creates a committee to regulate the use of performance-enhancing drugs in horse racing. Who knew? Not not going to be my first guess. (laughs) I did did know that. Horses are terribly abused. Oh, it's Uh, awful. Yeah. Uh, Uh, so, So number four... What it, it the, this legislation made what shared family digital action a felony? Shared family digital action a felony. Um, I don't know pirating uh, cable. Mr. Cable, do you have a do you have a guess? Uh, sharing nude photos. Incorrect. I'm going to give it to Dr. D. Illegal streaming is now a felony. Ooh, yes. It makes several changes to copyright law, including one measure aimed at protecting the intellectual property rights of artists and entertainment companies. Illegal streaming for commercial profit is now a felony. I knew that because in my early 20s, I had one of those pirated cable boxes. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> That was, that was, that was. Those were the bomb back in the day. They, they, were, they, were, they were the bomb until one day they just stopped working. And was, you, were like, oh. <laughs> you spent all this money and now they don't work. Number five. Right, Mr. Crable can tie me. Last question. All right. This is a tough one. Number five warns China. The, the legislation warns China against interfering in the naming of whom. Okay. Read it a second time. The legislation warns China against the interfering in the naming of whom? The naming of the U.S. president. Incorrect, Mr. De- Mr. Crable. The, the naming of... Um, the naming of... Um, human rights violators. Oh, I'm, I'm, oh, that's very close. I think. Cause there's, there's a lot to say about human rights with this person. Uh, the next Dalai Lama. Ah, oh, very yeah. nice. That yeah. was a tough quiz. I apologize for making it so tough. Well, who knew that they put, I, I missed those. And when the footnotes, you know, I, I, it's, it's all on the, the footnotes, the APA style footnotes. I of, skimmed it. I, I didn't read. Enough. <laughs> uh, I'm, strike, I'm striking out with my quizzes. Oh, and I have a, Casey, before we go, I have a quiz for you. Oh, my goodness. Do you know what the topic is? <laughs> I the Civil don't. War. Oh, no. <laughs> All right. They're going to start, oh, no. start easy and get, get uh, progressively harder, okay? All right. Is it, is it multiple choice or is it fill in the blank? Some are. The harder ones are, but the ones you should get are not. So. All right. Bring it on. All right. Do I get a pass on this quiz? Yes. Uh, only if he gets it incorrect. So he gets okay. to go first, and then you get to embarrass him. Oh, my right. God. So who, or sorry, what was the capital of the Confederacy? Uh, like the state or the city? <laughs> uh, the city. Like oh, the uh, uh, Norfolk. 
Wait, 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 wait. It's in Virginia. It's in Virginia. Why? He is, he's making that up that he doesn't know that. I don't know the capital of the Confederacy. Oh, okay. Well, this is, this is going to get ugly. Okay. Uh, oh, wait, 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 wait. Richmond, Richmond, Richmond. Okay. All right. Jeez, that was the easiest one. All right. Who was the president of the Confederacy? Uh, Jefferson Davis. Okay. There you go. Good. Two for two. Well, he's one for two. One and a half. Oh, yeah. Give me a break. I gave right. you a, a pretty heavy, hefty. Anyway, go ahead. How many slave states remained part of the Union? Zero, one, five, or six? Five. Look at you. Three for three. <laughs> Can either of you name any of them? Maryland. Yes. Missouri. Yes. Tennessee. No. No, not West Virginia. Kentucky. Yes, Kentucky. Um, so I have three right now. No, Robbie, you had you had one. Illinois. Nope. West Virginia. Yeah. I thought West Virginia was carved out of. That's what I yeah, thought West, too. Yeah, West Virginia was not was not a slave. Well, I think state. maybe technically. Yeah. So whatever. Anyway, the last okay. one's De- Delaware. Oh, Delaware! I didn't know. Yes. That. All right. Oh, yeah. uh, the fort that was fired upon that started the Civil War. What fort? Yes. Fort, fort Sumter. Sumter. Very good. Oh, God, this is my quiz. This I have is my seen quiz. It. Yeah, I just had to get one. Jesus. Right. I've seen it off the coast of uh, Charleston, South Carolina. Uh-huh. It's, uh-huh. it's right It's right there. It's kind of weird. I, I actually was there. I've been there. Okay. Been there, been there too. <laughs> All right. Two hard questions to end off. Jesus. What percentage of the U.S. population died in the Civil War? 14, 2, 36, or 5? Uh, 5%. Dr. Dodd, you have a, you have a guess? Um, I was going to say five, but I'll go with, uh, what, what were the other, the two and 14, 14, two and 36. I'll go with 14. That is the weakest buzzer ever. <laughs> I think it's, I, I have to make it louder. All right. The answer is actually 2%. Oh, okay. Okay. darn. I should have gone with two. Should have okay. done it. Price is right. I was closer. All right. All right. Last question. How long did Abraham Link take to deliver his famous Gettysburg address? Two hours, two minutes, 42 minutes, or 12 minutes? 12 minutes. Uh, what was the other? Was 32 minutes a choice? Uh, 42, two or two hours. I'll go with 42. Okay. Come on. The answer is two minutes. If you made your way down to the Lincoln Memorial of which the words are inscribed upon the left-hand side, also known as the South facing wall, you would see that is a mere one paragraph long for such a famous speech. It is shockingly short. Yeah. Right, well, not How bad. Four, four to, that was pretty good. I mean, those four were to six. Yeah, those were those were uh, pretty niche questions. No, there. that was three out of six. He got a fifty percent. Uh, I, you know, I got four one, out of six. In the Richmond uh, one, he got. Thank you. I, I think he got. He, he did say Norfolk at first, though, which <laughs> Norfolk. pretty embarrassing. <laughs> I was really concerned when he started. I out. know. I was like, oh, jeez. You got me very nervous. Two hours from Richmond, guy. Come on. <laughs> I, I didn't live in a, a formerly slave state. I didn't grow up in a formerly slave state. I apologize. You've this driven is- to the beach before. <laughs> so you've, you've driven through Richmond plenty of times, Mr. Siddons. Who who founded Pennsylvania? William Penn. Very good. 
Very what good. other quizzes? Go ahead. Give me a, give me, shoot some <laughs> other quiz. Go ahead. Hey, go ahead. Some, some, some of my ancestors came over with him. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know. I didn't know any dads from Pennsylvania. Settled in, settled in, uh, settled in Coatesville, PA. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Very strong English accents. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, fellas, what are your plans for, um, New Year's Eve, because this show will be out before New Year's Eve. I assume that you are playing it safe and banging pots and pans out on the porch with your, with your kids and just having, I plan on going to Times Square. (laughs) (laughs) There is no, is there, is there, is the ball dropping this year? Is there nothing? I, I don't know. I bet, I bet it does. And it's just on TV, but there's nobody there. That's my guess. I'm just kidding. I'm not going. (laughs) I'm not going anywhere. Even if it wasn't, a pandemic, I, I stay home for New Year's Eve. Yeah. And I watch yeah, New Year, I would put New Year's Eve as if, if we had to do the, we'll do this on a show sometime. If we have to do the five most overrated holiday, oh, it's way maybe, up there. Oh, it's way, yeah, way up there. I, I think it's the, I think it's the unequivocal number one. Yes. In my yep. I yep. fully agree. Yeah. I never, I never, I never was a fan. What else is on your list? You don't have to Halloween. do a five. Halloween. Oh, that's my number two. Thank you. Num- yes, my number, number two, one or two. right there. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Halloween fan. Dad, Dad's a Halloween fan. Yeah, I'm a Halloween fan. No, I would say, <laughs> I would say Fourth of July. Oh, what? I, yeah, I'm, I'm not, not a, I'm not a fan of fireworks. Yeah, I'm not. I like fireworks, but I'm not a fan of just. It's just the having to go somewhere to see fireworks. I like fireworks, but it's just a pain. Yeah. See, we we do have not me. done that. Uh, in years uh, the closest we did uh there's a an amateur fire display fireworks display down the street from us that we did last year where you can literally walk and it's not like the whole uh, production you know you gotta get there early and wait and park and there's a billion people that sucks i i fully agree with that number number three for me number three for me is flag day (laughs) <laughs> okay i wasn't even, that's not even in the running i was gonna say it's three i was gonna say it's three educators uh labor day is a big poop to me <laughs> oh jeez. <laughs> well i don't like i don't like it i mean it's comes right when school's starting I yeah. mean, what you, get a, you get a day off on labor day yeah yeah i don't know i, 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 am, like a fan, I am a fan of memorial day weekend of i like course. Memorial of course yeah the unofficial yeah. start of summer come on um, I, and then I think number two for me, well, I don't know. Va- Valentine's day is a lot of pressure. <laughs> oh, it's a yeah, just, don't, just don't say it too loud. Terrible. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. Come on. Come on. <laughs> All right, courageous. Well, I, uh, we hope that our listeners had a, uh, wonderful and safe, uh, new year's Eve and new year's day, lots of football to watch. And, um, hopefully you're at home safe with your families and as always, uh, at the end of the year, we're incredibly grateful for you listening to Ed's Not Dead and uh, sharing the pod with others. Um, it's because of your listening that we do it. So uh, thanks for tuning in and continue to spread the word, if you will. You can find uh, the pod on Twitter at Ed's Not Dead PC and check out the website, Ed's Not Dead Um um, and as always, uh, it's not dead. It's brought to you by Pulp Education, a full-service educational media company specializing in leadership instruction and 21st century school reform. So, lastly, boys, we started the pod in the summer of 2015 or 16. 
Mm. It was 2016. 2016. Okay. So yeah. we are about to kiss 2020 goodbye, which none of us are going to shed a tear about. Um, we oh, goodbye. Good riddance. 2021 is going to be an awesome year, is it not? It's going to be it our year. Be. Yeah, the Roaring Twenties. They're coming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I'm excited for 2029. Uh, why Roaring Twenties? End of Roaring Twenties? End of Roaring Twenties? Anybody? Is it too soon? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's the end of the Roaring Twenties was the, the Great Depression, so we don't want that. I know. It's supposed to be a tongue-in-cheek joke. And I'll, be, and I'll be freaking 60. So. Oh, God. Oh, <laughs> 60 years old. Yeah. Well, I'll be using my cane out in the trout fields. All right, folks. Thanks for tuning in to Ed's Not Dead. For Casey and Peter, uh, we'll see you in 2021. Take good care. Thanks. <laughs>